Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode here on Can You Put Me On Guest List. How is everybody? Can you believe that we're at the end of November already? How insane, how quickly... Well, to be fair, let's just get this year over and done with now. I'm over it. Done. This week, my guest is agent and all-round lovely guy, Dave Blackgrove. Dave is an agent at Paradigm, a worldwide talent agency that provides global representation to a diverse and dynamic roster of artists, not only in music, but also in television, comedy, theater, and more. Representing artists in the electronic music department, such as Fisher, Camel Fat, Salado, Latman, Detlef, Sonny Federa, Dom Dollar, and Elderbrook. Dave has played a huge part in the growth of many of these artists' careers as well as their projects. In this episode, we chat about how his role as an agent has been affected by COVID, releasing music during this very strange time for us all, how he got to where he is today, the proudest moments of his career, but this is going to be a hard one because I'm sure he has so many and much more. So I hope you enjoy this chat. This is Dave Blackgrove here on Can You Put Me On Guest List. So I always try and like, I like to start from the very beginning when I do these podcasts and just find out a little bit about how you actually started out in this industry and what your beginnings were like. So mm. how, did, how did you start out in the music industry? Um, so where did I start? I mean, I initially started started um, running parties in London and DJing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, that was, you know, that was a, a process and that was going on between 2001 and around 2005, maybe six. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, running various parties, mainly in London, DJing, again, mainly in London, but, but generally around. Um, I travelled a little bit for that. But that was like, that was the beginning really. And, and with that, I was, I don't know, I was involved in, I, was, I wrote a column for a magazine called Straight Edge Chaser, which is like a jazz black music magazine. Not, not just black music, but it's just a very broad, pretty underground, very beautiful looking magazine that probably made no money because it looked so good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we, I was writing a column covering interesting parties all over the place, like internationally. Um, it definitely had a kind of a heavy lean towards London. I was guilty of making that happen for sure, being that I was in London. Uh, so I was doing that, and my route into the agency game probably started around 2006. So I, I, At that stage, I'm not ashamed to admit I needed a proper job, let's say. Uh, I needed some sort of kind of regular income. And I got on a job as an assistant to three agents, all still in the game now. A uh, very small agency in the basement of an Indian restaurant. And I was the assistant. I was the first through the door as their assistant. And they all thought they had it made because they had an assistant. Like, but they were, yeah, they were sharing me. <laughs> and uh, I was working very hard. Uh, it was an agency called Best Kept Secret, owned and uh, set up by Nick Matthews, who's still my colleague now. Um, Mm -hmm. and I went for a couple of years at least. And from there, I think the, the, a couple of the guys, we were, we were a small agency. We we were doing a really good 
good job and we were kind of developing artists, but they, we found they were moving up and out of our out of our company as they took on big label deals or whatever as as kind of their progression kind of unfolded. So we were kind of not retaining the the biggest acts that were really taking off. So eventually, um, to cut a long story short, that agency folded. Those three guys went their own way. I was with Nick Matthews, and at that point, Alex Hardy at what was Coda Agency at the time. Um, was was very good and gave us both a desk and a salary and said, come along. And we came with not much, to be honest. And that's where that started. I couldn't really, it was, you know, nearly 13 years ago, 12 something, 12 years ago. And uh, yeah, that's where my kind of, that was my route into Coda and now Paradigm, as people know it. Because, so Paradigm used to be Coda before. Yes. Yeah, Coda... It was Coder Agency. Paradigm was a, a US right. firm. Um, Paradigm then did, you know, partnerships with uh, Windish and AM only in the states, other other companies, and we did a, we merged with Paradigm uh, from, you know, I, I guess from a London perspective in that in that respect. Um, it all be, even though we're kind of already a, a worldwide agency booking worldwide, mostly outside of America. But yeah, so we were kind of, we became like a London office, if you like. When you um, said before that you you thought it was time to, to find a real job, was being <laughs> becoming an agent like the, the first idea that you had in mind or was there other things in the industry that you would have liked to have done? No, not at all. I, I didn't... If I'm honest, it wasn't ever a game plan to be an agent. Um, I I just knew I needed some regular work. I, I it got, like DJing, running parties was was amazing, um, but it's a very volatile business. Like we, you know, one of the, the our main venue that we were using went completely. It, I think I bust. They just the management changed and they thought they could do it better. So our kind of flagship event fell over. So I wasn't, you know, my. I was always doing many different things, you know, from the from the magazine to kind of press to DJing and all sorts. So I think I was kind of I was just going along with it, you know. And I yeah, I hadn't ever thought agency. That's what I want to do. I was quite independent. I wasn't really. I don't even. I couldn't even say I was like massively aware of the various angles of the music industry you know anyway like I knew I needed some regular money and this role came up that's what came up and I you know started as an assistant and I think I, I even remember at that point when that company came to you know the wrap-up I, I I I don't even think I was really desperate to be an agent at that point even I was I was cruising you know I was just on yeah. Not autopilot, but you know what I mean? I, didn't, I definitely didn't have like yeah. a massive end goal in sight. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was not long what, at Coda, I realized that, that that's when I started to think, right, I've got a kind of, there's something else here. And that's when I got the bit between the teeth to, you know, write, develop a roster and to, you know, to sign artists and, and kind of be responsible for for their careers and that kind of trajectory of other people, you know? So who is currently on your roster now? 
um, well, there's is we fo- I focus mainly on house, some techno, um, but electronic music on the whole. So it goes from you know Fisher Campbell, Salado, and that kind of world there, Lapman and Detlef, um, uh, right across to you know Sai Federa and Dom Dolla, and I represent Elderbrook live performer, it's like incredible. Um, yeah, a, a range, a range of artists. Um, That's a lot. But yeah, I'm sure there's. Well, it's actually a. Yeah, I don't know if it is. It's a, it's a, it's a roster I love working with, and it keeps me busy. But it's certainly not a huge roster in by number. It's a, it's a very neat and tidy group. Uh, I've kind of it's a tree I've kept well. How do you normally start working with artists? Does an artist approach an agent, or is it the other way around? How does that normally work? Um, there's, I mean, it can, it can go any, any, any which way. It could be people you know, um, it can be artists reaching out, it can be their manager reaching out, it could, you know, it's, it's certainly been the case sometimes when I, I'll reach out to someone and say, I'm just, I really like that set you did, or, you know, whatever, like, yeah. there's, there's not a definitive route no to it, but I find, you know, you know, a lot of people are reaching out, people are, you know, you know, artists are always looking to, you know, build to progress. And I think, uh, you know, getting an agent is part of that. And yeah, people knock a, a fair fair amount on the door. Um, so it just, yeah, it just depends. But certainly, yeah, just like, you know, paths cross, you know, you go through, you go through kind of seasons of, of a rep and people knocking your door more. Um and sometimes you're the hunter and you're the one out there. And, you know, I'm, I, I do all of those things, you know. Do you think it's, it's more important for an artist to find an agent first or a manager first? Oh, again, again, it's not, uh, it's not a hard, fast rule, yeah. for sure. No, there's not really. It's, it's a really individual thing. It depends who, you know, what that individual artist is, is doing. Uh, it depends where they're at. It's, it's very common for i think an artist to take a manager on first um because you know live music is just one part of an artist an artist's career there's you know there's there's so much more going on there's contracts and legal bits and um you know a and r and you know there's many 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 things so my experience is that a lot of people take a manager first and you know, then they come with, you know, then they'll be looking for an agent. Um, yeah. But, you know, some artists will never have a manager and, and, and choose to, to work without. So it's certainly not always the case that the manager is num- number one through the door. But that seems to be the prevailing pattern, if you like. So sometimes you do directly just work with an artist instead of it being through a, through a manager? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, you know, I, I generally, or right across my roster, work with the artist direct anyway, with the manager. You know, we're a, we're a team and, you know, everything comes from the artist's brain and what they want to do, where they see themselves, where they want to be. Um, so, I, you know, yeah. that seems to work really well. You know, you've, you know, you, you have to kind of, to have that first-hand information to kind of understand the nuances of an artist and 
where they're at and what they're thinking or if they're having a good day or a bad day or you know what they're thinking that year or what's the plan for the next three it's I love working with those individuals and you know it's uh yeah it's a team thing yeah absolutely I guess it's just like anything though before to like really get the work flowing you have to really know everybody in your team well don't you and really find out what they like what everybody's got such different ways in working and I'm sure it's so different for you working with so many different artists and especially on different time zones as well how do you find that I mean it's it's interesting it's not a there's not a a day where the ball can drop you know like yes like I work you know cover uh, Dom Dollar and I you know, work with his team. We, we speak a lot, and always at the wrong time of day for me. Um, Is it? You know, he's he's based in, in Australia, and the time zones recently have switched not in our favour. And yeah, it's it's pretty full on. Um, but that's just the, that is just the, that is part of this job. Whether even if everyone's based in London, someone's always going to call you at eleven in the night, um, yeah. and that's that's kind of part of part for the course, if you like. It's definitely part of it. Um, but yeah, you've got, you know, that's, you know, you've got to, you've got to be available to those people when, when the creative juices are flowing and they've got something that they want to communicate, then on the whole, yeah. here I am. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what do you think is the most challenging part of your job? Um, most challenging part? I mean, there's many, many challenges for sure. Like, you know, that kind of level of availability, that that being like kind of the the buck stops here guy for 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 multiple people's careers, um, yeah. is a lot to to deal with. But you can't, you don't really. I don't really think of it in that way. Like that's the truth of it. But you know, as I say, it's a team thing, and you know, we kind of we share that collectively. Uh, I think one one challenge, if you like, is is bringing everything to the, the kind of perfect point. You know, you've got an artist wants to do this or they want to be achieving X, Y, and Z. You've got a manager that wants to be doing it and they want to do it a certain way. You've got promoters that think something else. There's a perception of the public. You know, you've got, you have to kind of, you have to kind of bring these worlds together and you have to kind of build global perceptions of an artist yeah. sometimes over years to to bring yourself to the point where oh yeah they are like that or we do see them that way or they did actually release an album and we thought you know that was never going to happen four years ago or whatever or they've been playing with these guys or they're kind of now positioned like this or musically they're held up in this esteem when you know six years ago no one knew their name or whatever you know you have to that's a real challenge and it can be it's real it's like it definitely comes down to vision and a careful um, working through of what is it we're going for with this artist and what is it this year that we're trying to do versus what we're trying to do and what do we want our legacy to be in 10 years or more, you know? That's um, it's something I love doing. But it's definitely a massive challenge. 
How, how do you normally set goals for an artist? Because as you're saying this, I'm thinking there is so much more than I would ever have thought. That there, Obviously, I know that you have a lot of work, but I'd never really thought of it that way where you have to think about getting the manager's idea, the artist's idea, the promoter's idea, what you would like to do and try and find like a, a mutual point mm. where, it, where it works for everyone. So do you set short-term goals for artists or do you do short and long-term or... How do you normally work with, with goal setting? Yeah, I think you've got to have both. You know, you, you this world, you kind of work in the here and now. It can be very, it's very rapid. You know, a new artist can literally be brand new one month and within months could potentially be the hottest name on the planet. Um, things move really fast. So, you, yes, you can set long-term goals and you kind of know what you're working towards you know what you are trying to build um and there's always like there's a there's a there's a relatively short-term cycle year in year out that you can go around and uh, you know you don't generally book shows years and years in advance um you know, we're always thinking and we've got our steps mapped out for two, three years. We've got venues on hold, depending on what we think we might be able to do in 2004, for example. But on the whole, festivals are booking year round. So it's a yearly process on the whole. So, yeah, short term goals, long term trajectory. What are we loosely aiming for? What do we want to be? And of course, that changes as well. Like an artist might decide they want to be like so-and-so or they want to be doing this venue. We get there and it's not where they're at anymore. They want to be a different venue or like someone else or, that, you know, it, those things change. So it's a very, it's a quick thing. You have to know what you're doing right there and what is your short-term goals? What are you doing this year? What are your priorities? Um, but there's there's generally like an over... Not like an overriding kind of sense of this is this is where we're, we're going with this artist or project. Yeah, like everything kind of has a reason behind why you're doing that and when. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, that's a huge. It's a huge thing to identify. It's like where where you're going because without that, you're where. What are you doing? Like you're just. You can only base your decisions on the short term. And that's a really weird place to be, and it's you can get you can get sucked into a whirlpool in that respect if you're not really if there's no bigger bearing on something. It can be very, uh, yeah, you can be lost, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Obviously, right now, COVID has changed absolutely bloody everything in everybody's lives yes how has it changed you your job your role I'm sure that that for you has been a lot of changes so how has it been for you yeah I mean it's like it's been brutal a brutal year and, and brutal for so many people in this industry and and beyond um yeah not the most fun year like there's definitely some some positives in it, but it's not been a good year on the whole for the industry. And I, I wouldn't say it's been an amazing year for me. Like it's been tough. Um, how has the role changed? I mean, I, you know, I'm the, I mean, the obvious stuff is there's a lot of online chat. There's a lot of virtual reality shows. There's a lot of streaming. There's, you know, and I'm, I've been really digging into that. I'm focusing a lot more on it, working out what is, you know, the best, 
thing we can do. You know, we're you know building digital uh, plans, if you like, for artists because that's that's how yeah. we're out there at the moment. And you know, some some are very quiet on that front, as some artists are. You know, seem to be everywhere and are very busy doing bits and pieces. And it, again, that comes down to where their artist is at. Um, one. You know, one thing to deal with has been just to, you know, while the industry as a whole, from promoters to managers to artists to, you know, roadies, uh, everyone's relatively out of paid work at the moment. So while there's plenty to do, everyone's out. So we, you know, what's been really important to me and, you know, us at Paradigm is to make sure that everyone is still around and, and fighting to see the day when live music does come back and we can have clubs and dance floors packed again, you know, and it's not, yes, I represent artists, but we have to, we've got to be responsible and make sure that, you know, people still have faith in buying tickets, that promoters are still there and able to open their doors. Same for venues. Um, so it's about also protecting the whole industry, you know, and it's not just fighting for, artists alone dare i say it's a it's about looking after everyone you know even down to refund terms or whatever on on shows making sure that the punters if they're going to put faith in in us and our artists and the promoters by buying a ticket in massively uncertain terms times making sure that the whole thing is looked after you know we're not just going on a booking rampage in order then to yeah. keep money. You know, we're like we're being, you have to be kind of responsible stewards of the whole thing. So that's been a, that's, that is a challenge. Like that's, I mean, that's always the case. You always have to look after, you know, the industry as a whole. You want your fans to be looked after and you want to, you have to kind of, you have to do well by them. Uh, so that's, that's not unusual, but especially now yeah. when everyone's feeling the pinch, everyone needs cash flow and everyone needs to kind of hold on to their seats a little bit. You know, that's, that's more of a challenge now than ever. So that's been, uh, that's kind of been forefront of a lot of our attention. I know it's obviously so hard to even predict or say what's going to happen next year, but have you had any thoughts or do you have an opinion on how you think things will be, when we can start going out again and clubs can reopen? Uh, no, 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 no magic wand, I'm afraid. But I'd like it, it's really hard to say. Like, I've been, you know, and the industry have been speculating uh, since March or when, whenever, like a long time. Um, and, you know, I remember when we closed our office in March and we all went home. And we started working from there. And I remember, you know, we initially thought it would be, you know, two months and we'll be back in the office. Like we couldn't imagine that summer would be wiped out. And it has continued to stay away from us. The end of this is still not quite there. But there has definitely been some amazing good news stories, uh, even in the last seven days. And, I, you know, next year... I know we'll have a better business than we did this year. Um, even if mass gatherings can't happen, even like the, the format of a social distance event is more familiar. It's, it's more tried and tested. I think people have their game more ready to do that. Um, 
it's not the answer. It's not very fun. It's you know, it's great to be able to still play to some fans. It's great to still be able to create some jobs and some revenue or you know some turnover at least. Um, it's certainly not what we're all aiming for. But even if this doesn't get any better, in theory, there's going to there should be more of that. We'll be able to do it on a bigger scale. Perhaps we'll perhaps people will be able to make some money, but. I do, I do think there'll be more shows going on next year. Um, we saw that flares in different territories of, of activity and, you know, restrictions were loosened, um, even if it was temporary. So if that continues through next year, then there's going to be more business to be done. I also think more shows will play out as normal as we, you know, as we used to know them. I mean, that will con- continue to happen. Obviously, testing and vaccines are going forward in strides. So I think we're going to have a much better year. I do think we'll look back at it and it will look like someone's just torn the whole thing up. It's, there's going to be patches of, and holes where suddenly there wasn't a show, there wasn't any shows allowed in the UK or Italy or Australia. Or I think we'll see that. Um, yeah. So, you know, when we look back, well, you know, I'm expecting, well, I'm expecting lots of disruption still, for sure, next year. But I, I am also optimistic for a much better year than we've had this year. Have you been to any socially distanced uh, events? I've been to two. Yeah, my two shows, are, <laughs> the two shows I did go to this year. <laughs> um, no, I've been to, I did go to some before we all got shut down. But yeah, this summer, I did go to two. Um, and, you know, they're not perfect. But as I say, like, in the absence of, like, a normal show as we knew it, I just think it's been, it's been great. Like, it's completely different. It's tough, I think, for the artists to get their heads around it to begin with because everyone's sitting down, everyone's in groups. It's a lot more chat in the crowd. Uh, you don't get that collective roar of that kind of dance music when something, yeah. a, a record drops and everyone's behind you and everyone's together. You don't have that kind of, I don't know what it is, that kind of tribal voice, if you like, there is that kind of yeah, the yeah, crowd yeah, buzz. Yeah. Um, so it's very difficult. So it's very, it's a weird dynamic to, you know, to be playing to a lot of people sat down, sitting around tables, having a good catch up to be fair, because no one's seen each other and they're all sitting facing each other on a table. So there's a lot of chatter and it's tough, but yeah. it's it's something. You know, it is, it is something. I'm not going to knock it. People have worked very hard. I've, you know, I've been to two, as I say, very different events. And promoters are making it work, you know, and people are digging deep and they're not making the money that they would like to be making. And, you know, the, the crew and... In every aspect, like turnovers down, um, people are often just covering costs um, or, or worse even. But um, yeah, they're interesting. And, you know, they've been the saviour for some people this year. Um, but hopefully we can all kind of get back to Absolutely. People have worked so, so hard to adapt. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, here there was one point that they said that we weren't even allowed to dance anymore. Dancing stopped. You weren't allowed to dance in your chair anymore. <laughs> Literally yeah. just sat there. It's tough. Even move. It's tough. It's strange. And I, I always think for the artist, it must be so weird. I mean, like, okay, I've got no reaction from the crowd. 
or, yeah. or unless somebody just kind of putting their hands up while they sat down. But it's weird. It's very, very strange. I, I, I've thought a few times it must be very hard for them to adapt to a situation like that and try yeah. to figure out what, what, what should I be playing? How are people going to react to this? Yeah, it's, it's, a real, it's a real challenge for people. And to me, like, it feels like, I don't know, yeah, you do have to play a lot. You have to work way harder as an artist, as a DJ, to, you know, to make that crowd work. Yeah. The dynamic is completely different. Uh, and whether that needs, means you need to play bigger records or push it a bit further for those, you know, for those reactions. I don't, I'd like, that seems to be the case. It just, it does depend on the crowd. Like, I'm not going to play, I'm not going to tell DJs how to play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's we tough. Talk, we said before about, um, like, digital content as well and streamings and stuff that's going on uh, online. Do you think that will be something that will carry up, that will stick around uh, mm. even when things start to normalise again? Or do you think that will just kind of die back down? Yeah, I guess it may. I don't think it would die down as such. It may well slow down. It's definitely no replacement for being together with a lot of friends. It's like that environment cannot be replaced. It's like trying to give up chocolate and coffee. <laughs> like there's hard to replace those. Like, but at the same time, the seed is planted. You know, virtual festivals are a thing. You know, Tomorrowland doing their big festival online for example and you know many many other examples you know that enables people to access that uh, an experience and those those artists more than yeah. was possible before so i don't think they'll i don't think they'll go away i think it's a real thing um for sure the attention will 100% swing back to the dance floor and the festival and you know the live concerts yeah for sure um but you know i think it's a real thing and it'll be like who knows but i think it's uh it's is here and i think i don't know there's in in this kind of moment a lot of things a lot of different platforms companies have started like things come to market and in any, in a normal world, those you know, those startups, not all of them last. Many don't. Yeah. Um, you, you normally see one or two really start to elevate and you know and get some traction. Um, but you know, I think there's certain things uh, like that. That's a new thing, and I think they I think they'll continue to grow. Yeah. Um, it's hard to know. I just, I, you know, I'm I'm kind of holding my breath for the uh, for the real floor. Yeah miss it <laughs> yeah I went to um well I did it I've interviewed um for my podcast podcast actually I think it must have been around May or something um a Yuli from Watergate because they did their virtual uh events at Watergate yeah. and they had like virtual bouncers you could Great. buy drinks you could talk to each other you could go to the bathroom that was literally just like as if you were in Watergate but on your computer. amazing I mean what, how like how innovative is that like it's, it's, it's incredible what is being pushed for it's technology that I would say on the whole like it's yeah it's amazing we never would have thought in 2019. We never would have thought I will spend a lot of time producing our show for this online performance. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I it know. was happening, but it's been thrust into the 
into the foreground, if you like. Uh, it's front and centre right now. It's crazy. People have been so incredibly creative. Like, as we were saying before, people, especially it's such a hard time mentally as well. But people have just come through, brought, had the most amazing ideas. Mm. And setting up live streams like that, like actually virtually being inside Watergate, it's just cr- incredible. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's, it's really pushed that world. That world has really pushed forwards. I mean, that's great. It's really good. And I hope that that continues to drive forwards because, as I say, like it's, it's a different level of access. It's, you know, there's a lot of people that won't go to a club yeah. for whatever reason. Like whether it's a disability, whether it's an age thing, whether it's like there's a million reasons. Like clubs aren't, they don't include all really. Like, yeah, it's an inclusive thing, but it's not for everyone, whether it's taste or whatever. So, you know, for those to be online or something similar to be online is a great thing. You know, and again, it's, it's dependent on the artist and, you know, you can't replace that, that physical presence of a, a strong crowd and you being with them. Uh, but there's definitely wins to be had um, with the online you know, situation as well. You um, represent Camel Fat, who have just recently released their album Dark Matter. How has the release of such an anticipated album gone without having a tour around the release? Yeah, good question. It's, it's been... It's been awesome. It's been really exciting to see that project come to come to fruition and come to light in the public in the recent weeks as well. And it's you know it's gone down incredibly well. Uh, the feedback's been yeah. insanely good, um, which you would expect from producers like Camel Fat. But yeah, without touring, it's uh, it's been it's been interesting. Like there's obviously like. All DJs are saying like there's, there's no there's no way to road test these these tracks you know there's there's no mm. material to show these records being played in Brazil or in you know around around the world like there's no you know so much of a mar- the marketing tool well it's, it's such a good marketing tool for a, a big dance record is to to show it really working in its natural environment and. Yeah. We're totally without that natural environment at the moment, pretty much globally. So that's been really interesting. Like, you know, we've there is a tour, there is an album tour. We've had to move it a number of times. <laughs> <laughs> and imagine. finally, uh, it's now up. Uh, so, yeah, that's been a real challenge is just trying to work out when can this even happen? Yeah. Can it happen? Yeah. You know, should we put it up? You know, and we did in the summer, and it was—it's been a massive success. Um, but yeah, and it's—it's it's the same for everyone. But, you know, I'm playing tours across my roster, and you have to—you have to do your very best to like. I don't know. You've got to get it right. You've got to get the timing right. You've got to respect the mood of the public or the international public, if you like. You know, there's there's tones you've got to be tuned into, like is this the time to be trying to sell tickets? It doesn't really feel like it, but at the same time... It's got to move on. You have to kind of also still continue to move forwards and make your best plans as best you can. So it's been nuts. I can imagine. Um, to, to do that, you know, album tour or other tour. Like, it's, you know, it's been, 
almost impossible. Um, but that has kept us very busy this year. It's given us plenty to think about. Yeah. Because I guess for, especially now, so correct me if I'm wrong, but social media would have played a massive part in this release. Um, even though social media has always been very, very important. But has it been a big thing for them to to use their platforms the, the right way and try and get as much content out there as possible? Yeah, I mean, as I say, like the, using the footage from shows is is really valuable. But like that's it's the it's almost like the inarguably it's the best way to see big club records, yeah. you know, be aired. You know. Um, at the same time, if, you, if we're talking about Camelfat specifically, you know, the album is very broad musically. You know, there's a lot of incredible vocalists mm. on that album, it, and I think, if anything, for them, for those guys, this that album has showed their breadth, and it's it's a, it's, it's definitely a listening album. It's not it's not club banger after club banger. There's great great records on on the album throughout, um, and you, you know that's something that it seems everyone's very much enjoying, even at home. Um, no surprise. But, you know, social media is is really important. Um, it's it's just one part of, you know, what artists get up to. I, I guess now, it's, you know, that's the channel that people get to see their artists. So, yes, it's more important now. But, um, you know, the, the scale of that is... It's good, you know. If you've got scale and your um, and your fans are engaged, it's great. It's certainly it's not all about social media, though, you know. Yeah, but how important is it for an artist, in your opinion, to have a big following in order to get gigs, or do you not think it is that important? A big following is like is gold, you know. That's. Yeah, I mean that's what it's all about. Like, if, so if you show up to a club and the club's sold out and the and the queue is around the corner and no one can get in, that's a very good sign. Like, yeah. that's that's huge. Big social media following is is different for sure. Um, and as I say, if those fans are engaged, if they are, you know, if they're real fans, then then yeah, that's really amazing. That's important. Um, but it's not the be all and end all for getting shows. I don't know. It kind of depends. Like, um, it, like it's not necessarily about numbers. Do promoters ask you? Do they ever ask you, like, how many people, how many followers does this have? No, no. It's not. I think in the MySpace days, if you can remember back that far, pre Facebook, and with Facebook, it, there was a bit of. As social media became, uh, there was a bit of a focus on those numbers and it did become a bit of a benchmark for, you know, who gets paid what or who should be where on the flyer or on the bill. Um, and I do still see, sometimes I see, pe- I do see people listing artists with social media stats next to them, which I just find amazing. But um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a thing now. Like it's, you, like it can be so manipulated, and and it is, I don't know. Like you can't apply a hard fast rule to that. One guy could or girl could have a, a huge following in Mexico and be worth nothing in Leeds, yeah. for example, or whatever. Like it, it's it just depends. But yes, social media is huge, 
if you're using it well, great. Clearly, you're going to have more fans in a certain territory than other, than another. Like, it's, there's massive inconsistencies in it, and we saw in the MySpace days and perhaps Facebook too. Like, you you know, even now on Instagram, you can you can plow money into investing in your social media. MySpace was famous for being able to pay for getting, I don't know if it was likes or something else. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's part of it. If you're using it well and those fans are engaged, then it's a massively powerful tool for sure. Um, whether that's a part of getting more gigs is, yeah, I, that's uh, debatable for sure. You've had a lot of artists that have grown a lot whilst working with you, Camel Fat, Salado, Fisher, to name a few. So I'm sure that you have a lot of proud, proud moments in your career. But if you had to choose two of your proudest moments, which would they be? Well, that's a, that's a really <laughs> tough question. Um, two? Just, just two. <laughs> three. Um, you know, one, one massive highlight from, from I'll give you, no, I'll give you, I'll give you okay. one. And that was, you know, we did this, we, we had an incredible time in Ibiza with, with those three guys you mentioned. Uh, we created a party called Bodyworks at High, teamed up with Jan and Leslie and the whole team there. Uh, that was a real, that was a real highlight. Um, it was, it was a huge thing to pull off, to put those three people in a room together was, you know, was a, a, a big move. It was a massively powerful concoction of artists and we saw the results. I don't know, people like there was, you know, I think it was the busiest that venue had been in many, many years. And to be kind of a, a formative part of that, to kind of bring those people together in that spirit of collaboration and to bring, therefore, then so many people together at the same time as a result was amazing. And, you know, the, the you know we came up with that concept from the ground upwards and it was based on that kind of spirit of collaboration and you know yes there's three different artists there they're they're all their own planets and they're in, they're on their own orbit if you like but you know every tuesday whether they've been in brazil or la or uh, in asia on the saturday tuesday they sh- they showed up and as did the fans and that that was incredible it was massively hard work but that was a massive highlight to kind of you know, even just to open on day one, that was like, it was so cool. And for it, just, it just grew and grew and grew and grew. And it had, you know, that sent waves internationally for all of those artists. Like, that being such a roaring success and such a story, I didn't, I don't, I knew it was going to be big. Um, but not that big. I didn't know that it was going to cause such shockwaves and, you know, go on and tell such a great story for each of those acts, you know. And, you know, they're all on to, you know, you know, on to other great things as well. So that was a really cool, that was a really cool highlight of my career. I mean, there's been loads, but I guess a highlight as well on, on the whole is, you know, the same with those guys and what they're doing with their touring and the different projects they've, they've done and the way those artists have risen in this scene. Uh, the same for Sonny Federa and the trajectory he's on and, you know, the, the 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 amount of tickets he sells and the rate and how fast he sells them um, at the moment is is staggering and it's been amazing to see him come from 
uh, effectively one of the defected residents to becoming like an artist in his own right, like putting on very big tours. That's been insane. Like uh, the same for Dom Dollar to see him go from, we sold out, you know, the first thing we did in Melbourne, his hometown was to set out a 600 cap room three times. And now we're holding arenas and he's headlining festivals. And, you know, again, like it's the highlight, if you, if you like, is to, is to continually be part of that process from, from like this point to, you know, to this point. Um, I love doing that. And I seem to be doing all right at it. And it's got, yeah, it's been going really well, but just, yeah, so that elevation and having a bit of that vision, bringing it into reality. If someone doesn't get it yet, a promoter doesn't quite get it or the festival doesn't see the artist is suitable, but I know they are, or I know they will be. Developing that story to that point, as I say, like is, uh, I love it. That's, I mean, that's what it's about. I bet for you, like going to some of these clubs or, or events and just standing there once it's all come together, just must be such a good feeling. Like what, as what you were saying before about um, high um, when you did Bodyworks, mm. I remember that there was. I, I can't remember if it was Salado or Camel Fat, that each week they used to share like a picture of the queue outside of High. And it used to be like the biggest queue I've ever seen at that club, ever, ever, ever. It just went up and down. There was just no end to it. And it was insane. It was nuts. Yeah, it was, it was nuts. It was, it was a real thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was great. I was out there a lot, out there more than I've ever been. Um you know, most all, pretty much every week I went. I missed. I did miss uh, two, I think. But yeah, it was it was cool. It was good to be part of it as well. You know, and you you know, yeah, if you have a residency, like you're there week in week out, as I say. And you know, it was brutal for me. And I was only traveling on the whole, traveling from London. Yeah. Um, but you know, those guys, like they were, as I say, they were worldwide most weeks, and. You know, they're not going home and sleeping. <laughs> they're on a brutal schedule. Nuts. Even if I was saying, please don't take all of this on. Like, but they, you know, they, they get a lot done yeah. in a week. Yeah. And they show up. And it's, that's it. I just think, yeah. I was so impressed by those. I bought them all medals at the end of it. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> <laughs> to say, well done. <laughs> yeah, they deserve they it. Massive Do you re- like 16 weeks yeah. or whatever it was. 16. Yeah, 16 weeks of turning up and delivering time after time after time. Knackered, on no sleep sometimes, but, you know, delivering. And that, you know, is a very special achievement for them. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that this time that they are having off now, um, do you think they are actually quite liking it to be able to have a bit of a rest? Or do you think they're all just itching to get back out on the road? Thank you, Mark. I think if we asked them in March, they would have said, this is nice. Um, now it's like, uh... Asking them now, <laughs> I'm not sure. Wouldn't go that far. It's definitely, if, like, it's the same for all of us. Like, I would have spent, until now, I would have been, you know, this would be the time when I was starting to tidy up the year and wrap up my plans and slow down. But apart from now, this year for me as well would have been, it would have been a really quite a challenging schedule of travel. Um, So I know I've really missed that, um, but I've also, you know, it's been, I think for for artists and industry alike, um, 
it's been a year to uh, it's there's definitely been space and time to reflect a little bit whether that's comfy for people or not i don't know but it's definitely been a time to adjust and a time there yeah, there's been a hard stop to a lot of stuff so that can be a good thing that can be massively challenging for some people and often a bit of both um but yeah i think there's there's been times when i'm sure those artists have enjoyed a bit of the peace and quiet and the slower pace of life that perhaps they need yeah. you know um Absolutely. but when i suggest to my artist you should take three months off and and not burn out i don't know if that will be so well received in the future if we get back to normal yeah. <laughs> touring but uh no, it's, i think there's definitely been positives for sure yeah, definitely but, yeah definitely positives so just to end will you do a quick round of quick fire questions oh god okay <laughs> they're just all little random questions Okay. Are you ready? I myself. Okay. Yeah, I'm ready. The funniest artist that you work with? Oh, fish. Fish Your favourite dessert? Oh, chocolate mousse. Mm. The word or saying that you use the most? I don't know. I actually don't know. What word or saying I use the most? I don't know. I said brutal at least twice in this podcast, brutal. now three times. <laughs> um, the, <laughs> last, the last thing that you searched on Google? Um, wow, that's like breathing. You do stuff all the time. I, I don't know. <laughs> that's like breathing. <laughs> you must Probably a venue well. or a capacity of a venue. Okay. <laughs> oh no, I Googled the Mambo Brothers. Did you? <laughs> yeah. I was just, I, like, I totally forgot their second name and I was just reaching out to Christian. There you go. Hi, Christian. What's their second name? <laughs> I don't even remember. Um, that's a good point. It's already gone. Go move quick. <laughs> I have a longer memory, so it'll come back to me in about a week. Your favourite club? Oh, that's impossible, man. Like, that's really hard. Where? Um, Ibiza. Uh, well, I have, to, I have to say hi because I've spent so long there recently. But I've got a lot of love for a lot of the clubs. And I, I do, I really love Amnesia. It's like, it's so, it just feels like such a solid part of Ibiza. It feels like it's been there and it's, it's been there a long time. And I love the terrace. I went there as, a young'un when I went on holiday to Ibiza and I had an amazing time on that terrace from a party called Made in Italy and the yes. theatrics was just insane. Like I've never seen anything like it. So I've got a lot, a lot of love and respect for Amnesia, even though I've done a hell of a lot more work lately in the in the in the walls of high. Something that's always in your fridge. Creme fresh, bacon. Uh, cheese, milk, it's always in there. Always ready for a carbonara. <laughs> <laughs> mm, I love carbonara, it's my favourite. <laughs> and finally, the final question. Do you have a guest list rule? No. Pass it on to uh, my assistant, who I can't pass it on to anymore. <laughs> but no, no guest list rule. You're all welcome if there's space. 
Well, sadly, there's not often space now. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Dave, thank you so much for this chat. It's been so nice oh, well, to good. see you and to chat with you. And I hope that next time it's in person. Yes, in a club, right? In a club, definitely. Front left. Yep, that's where we'll be. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Casey. Thank you so much. I'll speak to you soon. See you later.